You're listening to, at any rate, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast, where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends and themes in fixed income, currency, and commodities markets. I'm Alex Rover, Head of U.S. Interest Rate Strategy at J.P. Morgan Securities, and joining me today are Mike Ferroli, our Chief U.S. Economist, as well as Jay Barry and Phoebe White. Jay is a Managing Director and Head of U.S. Government Securities Strategy, and Phoebe is an Executive Director and our Lead Inflation Strategist. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon, June 15th, shortly after the conclusion of the June FOMC meeting. Our views are fresh, and given the drama in the bond markets in recent days, we thought it'd be good to discuss some of our quick takes on what we learned and what we think the markets learned and how they may react in the coming days. Our comments reflect our views as expressed in today's Treasury Markets Daily publication, which is available to institutional investor clients of JP Morgan on JP Morgan Markets. Let's turn now to Mike Ferroli. And Mike, I, I know this all just you know happened not too long ago, but what surprised you about the meeting? And was there anything that you weren't particularly surprised by? Well, I think it's easy to start with the second question. What wasn't surprising after uh, Monday afternoon's media reports was the actual hike, which 75 basis points was pretty well telegraphed, albeit telegraphed late in the, late in the game. I guess perhaps slightly surprising uh, the dots, I guess, were probably a, a little above what we thought they would come in at. Um, not in a huge uh, manner, but um, you know, it does look for 175 basis points of tightening between now and year end, and we've we've been looking for 150 between now and year end. Um, though I would add that the Fed has probably a more rosy growth outlook uh, than we do, and uh, we see some downside risk building there. But uh, again, that wasn't a huge surprise. I think the you know, part of the message from the, the dots as well as the economic forecast is that they, you know, now maybe are getting a little more um, explicit about the fact that they are uh, looking to engineer some economic softness uh, in order to get, get uh, inflation down. You know, prior to, to today's uh, economic projections, we were describing it as the immaculate disinflation because they had and their prior outlook, inflation coming down without uh, growth ever going below trend. And uh, now you see a little bit, uh, albeit a very modest uh, amount of economic softness in the outlook. So in the um, SEP, what, what did you make of, of the dots? Was there anything there that, that sort of surprised you? It seemed like they, they came up somewhat aggressively. Yeah, they came up aggressively. Obviously, you know, that, that is reflecting changes from March, and there's been a lot of changes since March that have been in an aggressive direction. So they certainly were going to already move up quite a bit. Uh, and then they show a little, a little additional tightening next year and then some, uh, some easing in 24. I guess that maybe the 24 easing was honestly a surprise given that not a lot of participants had mentioned that explicitly. Um, uh, I guess it was also maybe modestly surprising how little, um, dispersion there was in the dots. I think that may reflect the fact that everyone's kind of come around to the view that we need to have restrictive policy. Uh, but uh, so some of the things I noticed in dots, again, not not huge surprises, but uh, yeah, definitely leaning a little more on the, um, the aggressive side when it came to the outlook, at least for at least for this year. Yeah, it seemed it seemed like the dispersion were sort of in the in you know the further further out you went it went like the looked like the the rate was trending lower and the 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 opinions were were more 
were, were more diverse and really hard to read whether or not that's a soft landing or a or or more of a hard sort of reaction. Yeah, I guess I would characterize this as uh, as a soft landing, right? I, you know, you have uh, you have growth remaining, even though it goes a little bit below trend. Uh, it is still yeah, the lowest yet, at least the median is one seven. Uh, and then, um, then you kind of pick up again a little bit in 24 and you get inflation down pretty close to 2%. So I'd call that, uh, a soft landing. I would call this outlook, um, you know, quite benign. If I think if we get this outlook, uh, you know, Powell will go down as a hero. You know, and interestingly, um, I think there have been some thoughts about maybe the balance sheet. There might be some sort of tweaks to that, but seems like that's all on on the same same track it was before. Yeah, I think they they're really following through on I mean, look, <laughs> they haven't been known for their consistency lately, uh, but at least one thing they're consistent here on is saying that the primary, you know, adjustments they're going to make to respond to economic developments are going to be in the funds rate and not on the balance sheets. They set balance the balance sheet policy um, I mean they communicated a few months ago, officially announced it last month. Uh, and you know, and the, there was no change, no official change to anything with respect to the balance sheet and the way Powell talked about it in the press conference sounded like they're happy with their plans as is, um, and that it's basically on autopilot. So I think we can, you know, I'm sure they'll the discussions on mortgage sales will come back um at some point, at least in the market they'll come back. But um it sounds like the Fed isn't going to pick up this topic for the rest of the calendar year, judging from the way Powell kind of described it today. That'd be my guess. Yeah, it felt like the mortgage sales, you know, was was a topic, you know, for later on anyway. Mm. Yeah, Fed has, enough, Fed has enough other things on their on their plate to think about it. In, in any case, uh, one thing that that I guess markets were sort of stirring about, at least in the very front end, were, were um, the administered rates. So. You know, there had been a lot of pressure on repo markets. Uh, I think over the past, you know, few days, you know, we had seen we had seen SOFR move down. I think you know about 11 basis points below uh, below the RRP rate. So that was sort of a, a really significant move lower. Um, and so there was there were questions about whether or not they they made adjustments there. Uh, I think I think our view was we were we were thinking that that probably wouldn't change. Uh, you know, given um, given we felt like a lot of the the dislocation in repo had to do with you know the sell off that we've had we've had recently uh, in rates and uh, just the general uncertainty about what the Fed was going to do. Um, you have any thoughts on on how they how they dealt with that? I guess I agree with you there. And, and then I guess one other thing to add is um, I think this meeting was probably rather um, uh, challenging enough as it is given the last minute audible. Uh, I think you see that to some degree and uh, the discount rate, which is not a very important administered rate for at least for your market, but that only one uh, bank submitted a request for a 75 basis point. Usually you get, um, you know, nine or 10 banks all submitting what, uh, um, you know, what actually transpired. And I think that probably just reflects how, um, how last minute, uh, the move to 75 wasn't given that I think it may have been challenging to take up, you know, a lot of other things that weren't on the agenda. So I think uh, some of it may just be a simple procedural um, challenge. And uh, I suppose if issues 
worsen by July, uh, you know, it may warrant more attention. Uh, hopefully, if that meeting is conducted in a more uh, less rushed and more normal manner than than the one over the last two days. Yeah, I mean, it, it did. It, I thought it was notable that there really hadn't been any impact on the Fed funds rate, even though the repo market was sort of having these these local issues around. Uh, yeah, around that's, yeah. I think that's also another important point. I've certainly heard Fed officials say that in the past. That you know, at the end of the day, where the rubber meets or the the rate they really care about is the funds rate, and that's the one they communicate policy in. And when these things start to spill over into the funds rate. I think it probably warrants more attention from participants on the committee. Anything else, Mike, we should be thinking about before we, uh, we turn, turn it over to Jay? Uh, I think we hit most of the main points. Again, um, a few little surprises here and there, but by and large, big picture, they, they delivered what they told us they would on Monday afternoon. Terrific, thanks, Mike. So now we're gonna to turn to Jay Barry and talk about nominal treasuries. So Jay, what, what can we learn from the market's reaction today and, and you know, how, how are things priced going in and, and where do we sit, you know, in these, in this, these early hours after the meeting? Uh, sure, Alex. I think at face value, you know, looking at the way we reacted after the statement and after the press conference, front end yields declined and the yield curve steepened, which would make you think that considering we got the largest hike we have seen since 1994, that this was actually somewhat of a dovish delivery. And I, and I think in large part, this is because there's just been some recalibration of expectations. Mike talked about how the dots were, were somewhat more hawkish than we would have expected going in, showing the funds rate peaking at 3.8% um, next year. But if kind of look at how sort of the market was pricing things yesterday and into today, we were pricing at a peak funds rate of, of over 4%. And more locally beyond that, I think once the journal article broke on Monday afternoon, markets started to price in not just a 75 basis point hike today, but a 75 at the next meeting in July and, and relatively high probability of a 75 in, in September as well. So when the chair talked about um, 75 not being a common occurrence and the decision between being 50 and 75 potentially for the next meeting in July, you've taken about a fair amount of the steam for the pricing for the next couple of, of meetings and now pricing in something a little bit more than 50, 50% chance of 50 versus 75 at the July meeting. So I think a lot of it was recalibration of expectations on you know, not necessarily where the rate is headed terminally, um, you know, because certainly the markets were pricing in a higher terminal rate than the Fed's dots, and high, the dots were higher than we expected, but kind of recalibrating after that article that came out on, on Monday afternoon. So I think definitely a bit of a dovish reaction, but it needs to be qualified under the context of how we were priced heading in. So we had a lot of uncertainty because the, because the way I think we transitioned from 50 to 75 here you know, now we're sort of openly talking about it could be 50, it could be 75, I guess, dependent, depending on the data. There's a, is there any reason we should have the same sort of degree of drama we had, you know, this time through? No obvious reason? Well, I think the chairman's given us less guidance this time around, right? At the May meeting, right, he conditioned us to think a 50 was coming today and a 50 was coming at the July meeting, and it was, you know, 
you know, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth and, you know, you got punched in the mouth by the May CPI report. Um, so this time around, um, you know, clearly, you know, the market's 50-50 in between a 50 and a 75. So the overall surprise factor, I think, should be lower than, 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 than we, we had going in um, to, to this week coming out of the CPI report, all else equal. Um, and I think he's kind of leaving it open-ended because I think the resting question I had had coming in is if the Fed goes 75 today, how does the chair um, create an off-ramp for making 75 a more consistent set of hikes? And I think he was able to do that this afternoon, saying that it's unlikely to be a common occurrence, did not want inflation to become entrenched in expectations, and that in all likelihood going forward, it's a decision between 50 and 75. It's not the floor like we expected coming out of the last meeting. So it's now, you know, getting to be mid-June, you know, we're approaching second half of the year. You know, we've been having a lot of client conversations around, you know, our outlook for the second half of the year. And it's pretty complex. I mean, we've got the Fed, we've got issues with inflation, we've had issues with liquidity and technicals in the market. Um, and, and we, you know, continue to have what looks to be a, 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 you know, decent growth in the economy over the balance of the year. So how do we put that all together? And what does it mean for, for the outlook for the next few months, you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, as we look forward here, it's clearly that the market is pricing in um, a Fed forecast that looks something like ours uh, against the backdrop of, of a growth outlook, which is likely to slow over the second half of the year. So I guess the question is, is what's the direction of travel from here? And we've had a very weak first six months to the Treasury market, right? That's an understatement with the, the biggest increase in rates that we've seen in sort of modern history and a, I think a negative 11% return on our government bond index to start the year. So I think from this perspective, we tend to think that the biggest move in rates is, is behind us for the year. Um, and to the extent that we're sort of priced or something close to whatever Fed forecast looks like, we've identified that the valuations in the intermediate sector of the treasury curve look somewhat cheap. Um, you know, kind of at the cheaper end of the range of where we've gotten over the course of the last couple of years, about 20 to 25 basis points cheap. And I think to an extent that the valuations got there, not just because there was an uncertainty over how many successive 75 basis point increases we would see, but I think we know that the short base had probably grown over the course of the last couple of weeks. And our latest survey, which was released on, on Tuesday morning, indicated that the outright share of shorts was as large as it's been in, in the last three months. So I think that probably sort of amplified the moves. Um, and, and if anything, we think it's also being exaggerated by, by liquidity conditions as well, because as, as vol came down um, in the second half of May into the early part of June, liquidity conditions started to improve, but with sort of the very sharply surprising May CPI report we got on Friday, the subsequent increase in vol, We've had a couple of the weakest liquidity days in the treasury market that we've had, not just this year, but really since coming out of the COVID, worst of COVID um, this time two years ago. So I think some of these moves were amplified by increased short positioning against the backdrop of poor liquidity. With the Fed out of the way right now and no sort of first tier data until the beginning of July, you know, I do wonder if it means uh, we can actually mean revert a little bit, which is kind of in line with what we've seen over the course of the last couple of hours in the wake of the Fed as well. But I think the takeaway is, is if positioning gets more neutral, if we mean revert, then it probably means that the biggest increase in rates is behind us for now. Thanks, Jay. Let's turn to uh, to Phoebe White and talk a little bit about inflation here, since that's been so central to the entire uh, drama that's been playing out the past the past few weeks. 
Hi, Phoebe. Let's uh, let's talk about how tips fared through the re recent volatility. It seemed like they had a, a fairly rough go of it in, in those markets. And any any early read on how they're responding after Powell's comments today? Yeah, I mean, it has been a pretty pivotal week for the tips market as well. Um, you know, we were sitting here a week ago pretty comfortably bullish on front end break evens given the upside risks to inflation we were seeing. Um, you know, a Fed that we thought had telegraphed what it was going to do with the next two meetings and a very strong carry profile on the product into July. Um, and here we are a week later. Um, you know, we did get a very strong May CPI report last week, uh, which I think bolstered some of our concerns around the persistence of inflation here, um, you know, with just how commodity shocks are, are kind of being passed into consumer prices and also the acceleration we saw in shelter inflation. Um, but now, you know, we have a Fed that proved to be much more nimble than anyone expected. Um, and with the historically swift repricing and Fed expectations, tips underperformed very sharply yesterday. Um, you know, for context, we saw the implied one-year forward, one-year inflation rate um, drop about 50 basis points from, from 350 to about 3%. Uh, Five-year break-evens were about 25 basis points narrower. Um, so, you know, to some extent, maybe that reflects an expectation that tighter policy will bite earlier in the in the sort of trajectory here. But I think, you know, that much of a reaction was, was probably technical in nature as well, just given the weak liquidity we're seeing in tips markets also. Um, you know, and then I guess turning to, to what we learned from Powell today, um, yes, he continued to be tough on, you know, how committed they are to fighting inflation, but um, by guiding markets away from pricing in a full 75 in July, tips were able to recover some of yesterday's outperformance out yesterday's underperformance. Um, and that one year forward, one year rate actually retraced about half of the move. So, so that rate is now trading around 325. Um, Five-year break-evens are back above 3%. So it seems like they're responding to the news. You know, one of the recurring themes, though, has been liquidity in the tips market has, has been challenged. Do you, do you feel like that scarred the market in any way? Is that something that, that you know, we can, we'll see the market put behind it? Or is this something that's just going to carry forward? Sure. So, you know, we've been seeing pretty elevated um, volatility and break evens here for, um, you know, more than more than a month. Um, certainly, you know, since the, the outbreak of the war, um, volatility and break evens has been elevated. Um, we don't have a measure of interdealer market depth the way we do in, in the nominals market, but we like to look at sort of a proxy measure by comparing transactions in the tips market to um, realized volatility and break evens. And if you look at that kind of proxy measure, um, it, it appears that that depth in the tips market is about as low as it was in March of 2020. Um, so, you know, with that, when we get, you know, new information, we could certainly see outsized moves. Um, and I think on top of that, one kind of risk that I've been eyeing over the medium term is the fact that uh, the TIPS ETF community is now much larger than it was before the pandemic as well. And if we started to see a real weakening in demand and sustained outflows from that community, I think that could have a larger effect on the market as well. We're certainly not seeing that yet. And I think it was notable that even in yesterday's move with the severe underperformance of TIPS, we actually saw inflows into the largest TIPS ETFs. So that's something that I'm watching. And I think it's a risk as we look over the second half of the year. So given everything that's happened in the tips market over the past week, you know, what are your thoughts on uh, inflation markets going forward? 
So even though we got sort of this partial retracement today, um, I, I think the front end is still looking somewhat cheap here. I think we can bounce back a bit further in coming weeks um, now that the, the Fed is out of the way, and especially if energy prices continue to creep higher here. Um, you know, our commodity strategists note that even if we were to get larger demand destruction near term with respect to sort of summer driving than we were forecasting. We also see downside risks to supply projections. Um, so I think gasoline prices can continue to move higher. I think that'll pressure headline higher here. And, and I think we can see uh, front end break evens widening a bit further. Um, but I think looking out of the over the medium term, um, the upside to break evens is more limited compared to what we were seeing last week. Um, you know, even if we get a near-term run-up in gasoline prices, we're still projecting that they would come down pretty sharply in the fourth quarter. Um, and, you know, a continued rise in gas prices is likely to cause more of a, a drop in non-gas spending. So you combine that with what we got from the retail sales report this morning, which is pretty weak and, and points to much slower consumption growth in the current quarter. Um, you know, I think this, this definitely reduces the upside risk to inflation that we were seeing previously. Um, you know, we are seeing a good amount of softening in inflation already priced into the forward curve. Um, on a sequential basis, the fixings are priced for headline inflation to slow towards um, under 4% um, annualized in the fourth quarter. So that's not too far off from our own forecast. Uh, the curve, um, you know, implies we'll also see headline inflation down to the low threes in 2023. So, you know, that doesn't seem all that mispriced right now relative to our own thinking, um, especially, you know, if we don't think we're really headed for a recession in the next 12 to 18 months. But I think in terms of the, the distribution of risks, we've taken out some of the upside um, and we still recognize that there are, there are downside risks as we move ahead here. Thanks, Phoebe. There's definitely a lot to think about in the inflation space. I think that's a good spot to stop for today. Thanks to Mike Faroli, Jay Barry, and Phoebe White for their insights. And I wanna thank our listeners for joining us today. Please stay tuned for more episodes of At Any Rate, JP Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan research reports related to its contents and for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2022, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on June 15, 2022.